Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 30 of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Thank you guys so much for uh, hanging out on a Thursday. I know I'm recording this on Wednesday. Uh, we just got done with a really cool Adam Nutter uh, interview, but we have a really awesome guest for you today. I'm very excited, but let's start off with some sponsors. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, my friend, my partner, one of the coolest dudes in the world, toplobster.com for all your graphic tea and design needs. This man is amazing. He's the one who does all of the uh, thumbnails for the show. He hand draws all that stuff. He's amazing. You can also get this awesome Tree of Liberty Must Be Watered shirt uh, by using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, anthemplanning.com for all of your emergency crisis and planning needs. Wonderful people. Mises Caucus uh, owned. Definitely check them out. See if they can help you or your business today. Uh, like I said, we got a great guest today. He's one of my favorite dudes in the movement. I've been a fan for a long time. He's had me on his show a couple times. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to have him on my show. He is the host of Flagship Lions of Liberty and one of the coolest guys in the libertarian uh, podcasting sphere. He is Mr. Mark Clare. How are you doing today, sir? Josh, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, excited to be roaring with you. On the couch stream here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was thinking, I was thinking about having you uh, roar for me, but then I was like, "That's not my show, man. It's not my thing." <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I just did a show with Buck Johnson, and I, I, I told him I was ready to roar, and he's like, "What? Well, wait, where am I? I'm, 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 I'm in the time warp. I don't even know what show I'm on anymore." You, you, you yeah, you forget. I mean, I, I mean, how many episodes do you have now, man? It's like some ungodly um, number. Of my personal flagship podcast, you know, we have we have three different shows on our sort of a Liberty Variety Show feed, but I just passed, I think, like five ten, five eleven. Something like that. That's wild, man. I'm at 30, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I made it 30 shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I've also it's all it's all perspective. Yeah. Well, and I've also put out like a you know I I, I started out I was going to do a show on Wednesday night and Friday night like that was what I was going to do because I'm doing live shows, and then I was like started adding some Tuesday shows, and then now it's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's just like it just, it just never stops. You just keep doing shows, you know. It just never stops, and uh, that that's how you got to be in the podcasting game because if you stop then um, people will jump off, you know, yep. like there's there's so much competition for ear time, for eye time out there. And if if there's a week you don't show up, you might lose people because they say, oh, I guess he's I guess he's not doing podcasts anymore. Whatever. I don't know. There's a bunch of other stuff out there. And that's that's kind of like why I started Lions of Liberty is because I I couldn't find as as crazy as it sounds today in 2021. I couldn't find consistent libertarian like podcast interviews that I wanted to hear. This is back in 2013. Uh, they just weren't there. Like sometimes Lou Rockwell did an interview. Sometimes uh, Robert Wenzel did an interview, but they weren't consistent. They weren't. There wasn't the amount of content that I was craving. So I just decided to uh, to start it, and I, I haven't stopped since. Sure, man. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you about why you started that sh the show, but um, yeah, I, I totally get it. I I you know. I I started this show actually in the, uh, 2020, um, back in the beginning of 2020, I was going to do an audio podcast only. I started recording. I did a couple episodes on my phone. I actually recorded it on my phone. Um, and I put out a couple episodes and then I, life happened. You know, I went from being a bachelor to having seven kids and, and life changed drastically. And I just, life comes have, at you fast. Yeah, dude. And you got to roll with the punches. And then I was like, you know, uh, I should probably get back to that fucking show. It's been like a year, you know? And so, uh, then in August I put out another episode and then, uh, didn't put out anything else until, you know, this past, uh, uh March. And now, now I'm, now I'm rolling. Now I got to go. I, I bought, I bought so much equipment that it was like, you know, you can't, you can't say no now. You know. Now you're invested. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, you, you put me to shame. I thought I had gone through some uh, big life changes in the last year. All I got was a wife and a stepson. Look at you, though. You got you got a whole a whole household here. So uh, I think you and I have both come a long way since the first time we uh, we met in person uh, way back, way back in the day. Oh, we're going to get into, in we're gonna get into that story, buddy. We're going to get into that story. <laughs> but let's I want to look, I you know, you're always the one interviewing people, right? Like you are the guy that does this. And and not a lot of people probably know about your origin story. So I just want to, I want to find out how you came to Liberty, how you became such a Liberty minded person and advocate for, for the ideals of, of Liberty. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a lot of different starting points we could go with. We could start with like um, I, when I used to go on rides with my dad, he was like, uh, you know, pretty much like a standard Republican, but he was huge into talk radio. Like that's all if he was if I was in the car with my dad, he's either listened to 50s, 50s doo-wop or to, or like AM talk radio. Uh, this is in like the you know early to mid 90s. So I was always exposed to like this political conversation. Uh, like specifically, I remember him listening to uh, this guy, Bob Grant. Uh, he was like a big talk radio guy in the, in the New York area. And I, I didn't have like I didn't really form my own opinions at that time. But I I was just immersed in it because I just heard it so much. So I, I but I didn't really understand it either. And And I remember I would ask a lot of questions like I would say. I would say things like, uh, you know, why should there even be a law about that? Or like, why should the government have anything to do with that? And it, it wasn't coming from a philosophical place. It was just a place of curiosity. Like a lot of these conversations they between the left and the right or Democrats and Re- Republicans, I would just I would find them like sometimes I would agree with one more than another. But a lot of times I just found the whole thing kind of silly. I, I would just be like wondering why why are they even having this conversation in the first place? Uh, so that was kind of my my foray into just the you know politics. But when I really got into libertarian ideas was uh, when I was in college, uh, a good friend of mine who is uh, currently a part of our podcast, he rotates in and out. Uh, he appears a lot on our, our bonus Patreon show called Conspiracy Corner. Uh, his name is Howie Snowden. He's a great friend of mine. And he, uh, one of our many, many late night uh, drinking sessions, he uh, started t- telling me about this guy, this congressman uh, whose name was Ron Paul. Why is he telling me about a congressman? Because when Howie was in high school, he worked as a congressional page. It's basically like an intern for a congressman. He would go to school from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day and then work from 10 a.m. to like whenever at night uh, for this congressman. And he didn't work for Ron Paul. He worked for some like Pennsylvania Democrat. But um, like the only person, the only story he ever talked about was this guy, Ron Paul. He would he would always make a point to go to to listen to his speeches on the House floor. Uh, Sometimes he said he would go into his office and like hang out and he would just talk to him about liberty. And I was just like. I thought it was weird that he was telling me about this like old old congressman that he really liked, but he seemed really enthusiastic about him. And uh, so he told me that he had this column that he wrote called Texas Straight Talk. So I went and started reading that column. And what stood out to me is that it it really the way he his approach to politics was so different than any approach that I'd ever heard growing up listening to all that talk radio, where it was always Republicans had these positions, they attack Democrats, Democrats attack back. But Ron Paul, I mean, almost every article I was reading, and this is like the early 2000s. Uh, during the George W. Bush era, and almost every article that Ron Paul wrote was criticizing Republicans. It was criticizing the war on drugs. It was criticizing like Medicare Part B, Part D, whatever. Uh, eventually, the Iraq War and um, not, you know the response to 9/11, the war on terror, all of it, almost all of it actually was attacking Republicans, and that's what stood out to me more than anything else, because what I realized was. You know, he was breaking from the norm of not attacking your team, only going after the other side, because that's not how he looked at it. He looked at it through a prism of principle, through the lens of the ideas of liberty. And that really stood out to me before I even really understood the concepts themselves. It just impressed me that here was someone that was approaching the entire concept different than everybody else. He was approaching it not from this team mentality, but from a place of principle. And of course, that led me to just try to learn more about what those principles actually were. So from that point, I went down the whole rabbit hole, uh, the Rothbards, the Mises, the whole gang, the whole crew, the Hayek's, et cetera. Um, and it was only really when Ron Paul later, like, because this wasn't until uh, 2007 when he ran, but I had been reading this his columns now for six or seven years. And I remember I saw the, this little blurb. I'll never forget it because I was at, uh, at my job, like wasting time and just saw, looking at Yahoo News and saw this thing that said, Texas, Texas Congressman Ron Paul announces, uh, you know, presidential exploratory committee. And I was just like, what? This guy's running for president. And I was just kind of like, well, that, that probably won't go anywhere. But um, but it's interesting. And we all know kind of where it went from there. But uh, it was really just getting immersed in that Ron Paul movement and seeing his bravery up on the stage, even when he's being mocked, uh, being finger wagged by Rudy Giuliani, being told to apologize. The fact that he not only never backed down, uh, despite being mocked by the moderators, by his opponents, uh, basically treated like like, a, you know, like a child, like a stupid child that didn't even belong there. Um, he didn't just not back down. He doubled down. And and that just really impressed me. And and prior to that point, 
uh, for me, like libertarianism was only, it was kind of just a hobby. It was just like an interest. It was just something I, I kept to myself. I never talked about this stuff with anybody else. I just kind of like read these books on my own, had these thoughts to myself, thought about, yeah, it'd be nice if things were different, but they're not. I never, never occurred to me. I might be able to help change those things or influence those things. Uh, but when I saw Ron Paul up on the stage doing just that and influencing people, influencing me, inspiring me to get involved, inspiring me to talk about politics for the first time, to actually start talking to my family and friends about the things that I believed. Um, that's really what but led me to the path of being an, an active uh, member of the liberty movement, you might say. And you know, eventually, I don't know how deep you want me to go into the, the founding of Lions of Liberty, but the, the short version is I inspired some fellow friends of mine from college um, into sort of this this kind of group that we ended up calling the Lions of Liberty because we're from Penn State, the Nittany Lions. And we kind of just started out uh, doing some blogging. Basically, we were a Ron Paul propaganda site. You know, we just kind of talked about what Ron Paul do was doing, why everything he was doing was great. But eventually we evolved into, you know, some bigger articles about like the ideas of anarcho-capitalism. We did a lot of analyzing news. We were just trying to do anything we could do to gain some attention, kind of try, try to introduce these ideas to other people. And then one day, because I was so into podcasts, kind of circling back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, um, I, I couldn't find the podcast content that I was craving. So I went out and created it and everything kind of spiraled from there you got to be the change you want to see man exactly i gandhi that shit absolutely and so talking to talking about the the first time that you and i met that was uh it, <laughs> totally serendipitous man it's the weirdest thing i had been on mark's <laughs> podcast already i had been on i think i don't know if we had had the, the i think it was the debate was a debate prior to that? No, I, I think I had just interviewed you because yeah. i think you had just started running for chair maybe i don't know a month or two prior to that and so I interviewed you about that chair run and then, but that interview hadn't aired yet. I think it was actually airing like the, the next week, the next oh, right. Monday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd already like met quote unquote over Skype or whatever it was, but not in real life. And then I, I'm just, I was in new Orleans for a completely unrelated reason. Reason I was there to see WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, and you were there for a, a libertarian convention. I didn't even know there was a libertarian convention that like, I, that's how, you know, this, this is really before I got super involved in the Libertarian Party. It was really that that election cycle where I got a lot more involved in the party itself. So I, I had no clue that there was even a convention that weekend. So I'm just walking on the streets of New Orleans with a drink in my hand, having a good time. And I just look up and I see your face and I hear and you go, Mark, Mark Claire. And I'm like, Josh Smith. <laughs> it was that. That was, it was wild. Well, there's such a fun. <laughs> there's such a funny like backstory to that for me, too. So like. I didn't know I was going to New Orleans. Like, I didn't know I was going to the New Orleans State Convention, right? I actually got told the day before the convention, like, hey, go to the New Orleans Convention. Here's, you know, money for a plane ticket or whatever. So I hopped on a plane, and I was like, fuck it. I'll get a, I'll get a, a, a hotel when I get there. You know, it's New Orleans. This is going to be easy. But no, WrestleMania's in town, and every <laughs> single hotel room is booked. So you got the Libertarian uh, a, a party of, of – of, uh, uh, Louisiana State Convention going on at the one hotel by the airport, and then every other hotel's stacked with people there for WrestleMania. And so I'm walking through the French Quarter, and I find this little like heroin den, like hotel, like motel, right? And I walk in, I'm like, "Hey, do you guys by any chance have a room here?" You know? And they're like, "Yeah, absolutely, twenty five bucks." I'm running for the chairman, the chairmanship of the third, yeah. uh, third largest political yeah. party. Do you have yeah. a place I can crash? Do you get a place I can crash? <laughs> and they're like, "Sure." And so it was like, I, I think it was like thirty eight bucks or something, right? And it was like in the French Quarter, in the hood. And so I pay the lady and I go up to my room and the like boards are like pulling up off the floor. The mattress is wrapped in plastic. The bathtub's got like rust, I, th I hope, all over it. Um, and, and I'm starting to think, I'm like, oh, this place was flooded out and then never fixed, right? And it smells really bad in there. There's like people detoxing off heroin in the lobby and shit, right? And I'm like, oh, this is great. So, so my buddy Lonnie Dupree comes and meets up with me for a little bit. He lives uh, not far away from there. And he chills and he's like, dude, this is, this is a bad hotel. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care, man. I, I couldn't find anywhere else to sleep. I figured I'd sleep here tonight and then find a room tomorrow night or whatever after WrestleMania or whatever, right? And so uh, I was in the hotel room and I'm just there by myself and there's like people screaming and yelling and shit. And you're like, you know, I'm only a couple blocks from the French Quarter or from, from uh, Bourbon Street. I've never been here. I might as well go check it out. So I walked down to Bourbon Street and man, there's people chanting wrestling shit <laughs> everywhere. It was insane. And then uh, 
Yeah, I was walking down the street and I'm like, that's fucking Mark Claire. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> so uh, me and Mark partied all night long, man. And then I, I walked back through the hood uh, to my to my little hotel and slap, slept in my clothes on top of the uh, comforter, on top of the plastic covered mattress that night. Uh, and I ended up sleeping in the hotel of, of uh, the hotel lobby the next night uh, where the convention was. <laughs> so nice. It was, it was yeah, I think I, I think I lost my other friends I was even with. I think we just we just ended up and going off into the into the the the, the dark the dark nether regions of, of yeah, Bourbon I think, Street it, together, I think so. it was just you and I. I think we were probably out to like four o'clock in the morning or yeah, something, something and I, like that. I think I was finally, it, like, it gets blurry towards the end. Things, yeah, yeah, it was really blurry at the end, and I, and I think at some point I was like, I was like, you know, Mark, uh, I have to um, give a speech speech tomorrow at, the, at a <laughs> convention. Chair, yeah, so. I probably I probably got to head back, bud. You know, <laughs> I think that was that was probably one of the you know every convention I went to there was some something going on, and you always had to go and hang out with people and drink and do this and that. But that was oh, probably yeah. that was probably the craziest I got uh, on on the convention trail for sure. That in Nashville. It's a hell of a, me- a first meeting story, I think. I think we got a good, good one here. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of people have that. We just randomly, <laughs> both from California, uh, but I was living in yeah. Oregon at the time, and we just randomly met up at at the uh, at, at, on Bourbon Street, on like proper Bourbon Street. So it was fate. Yeah, pretty cool. So you've had you've had some recent life changes, man. Uh, you you got married. You got a stepkid. I was kind of following yeah. along as much as I could. You know, I've been booted off of Facebook since October. Um, they mm. won't they won't let me back, and that that was where I saw a lot more of your personal stuff, but Twitter as well. And so, why don't you t- give us a little story about? Can we can we talk about some of the personal stuff? Is that all right? Well, sure. Why not? I'm an open book nowadays. So so there's talks of Mexico. Uh, there's there's uh, a marriage. Well, how what how did this happen, man? How did it happen, man? Life comes at you hard and fast, doesn't it? Uh, now, I met my wife a couple of years ago in Mexico. She's from Mexico. So um, obviously, once I met her and um, decided I wanted to pursue a relationship and because that's you know, that's a big step when you meet someone in another city. I mean, you know, for most people and that wasn't my plan at all going to Mexico City. I actually just I actually wasn't even supposed to be in Mexico City that that week. Um, I was supposed to be working and I was I was actually planning to take a trip to Mexico City uh, a month later. Uh, just because it's, it's a city I'd always wanted to go to. Uh, I've been all throughout Mexico, but I'd never actually been to the city. Uh, so, uh, but then we randomly got a week off work. Normally, when I get a week off work, like you know, it's it's a kind of, when I, I work in live TV, so a week off, like production still goes on. So when we get a week off as, as staffers, I, we can either take the week off or we can work it and just get like double time for it. So normally, I I was always I'm always a big saver. I'm always trying to scrimp and scrimp, you know, scram for every dime I can get. So I usually just work through those t- kind of periods and just make the double money. But for whatever reason, I just said, you know what, I deserve this vacation. I, I want to go do this. I couldn't find anybody else to go with me. All my friends are married at this point and or lame or some combination of those two things. So I was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go like next week. We got this time off. I didn't expect. I'm just going to buy this ticket and go. And um, and then um, it's funny because I almost I, all these things were happening. Like I almost didn't go because oh, this is so funny. I was in New Orleans again the weekend before this. So New Orleans is, is the theme here for whatever reason. It's a city that sucks you in because my friend had a, a good friend of mine ha- had his bachelor party that, that weekend prior. Like, like his bachelor party was in like a Saturday in New Orleans and I was supposed to fly to Mexico on like a Tuesday. And then I so I get back from New Orleans and at one point while I was in New Orleans, I lost my debit card uh, as these things tend to happen. Uh, <laughs> so happened in New Orleans. But no problem. I have two debit cards. No worries. So I call my bank, just tell them to cancel the one debit card. And, you know, whatever. I have the other one, so I'll worry about it later. So I get back to L.A. and I go to take out. I always like to take out some, you know, a couple hundred bucks of hard American cash before I go traveling. And my debit card didn't work. The one that I had, one that I actually had. So I was like, well, what's going on here? So I call my bank and they're like, oh, no, we canceled that card. Like you said, I was like, no, 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 no. That was the wrong card. No, you canceled the one that I do have. So now I've lost one credit, one debit card, which I guess they didn't even cancel at the time. And then I and the other one I did have was now canceled. And I'm going to Mexico tomorrow with no way to access cash. Um, so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, should I even go? Like, should I even bother? And I was, I was texting a friend of mine. I'm like, I don't even think I'm going to go, man. I don't know. So, something face getting my way here. But my friend who I owe so much to in my life now, uh, he said, you know what? I have this debit card. It's a Charles Schwab card. There's no fees international. Just take my debit card. I'll, I'll, I'll change the pin to whatever you want. Just transfer me whatever cash. And then you can just use that card. Wow. So yeah, so that's what happened there. So I, I, I mean, I, I, I wasn't really supposed to be there, you know, but I, I ended up there uh, that week and and I just kind of had a good week hanging out by myself, um, just exploring the city. I would go out to some bars. Um, eventually, I, you know, I opened the apps, opened the Tinder, if you will. 
Uh, and then, um, yeah, I ended up uh, on a, a date that turned into a five day date here in Mexico City with uh, my, my my the woman who would become my wife. And um, yeah, we just kind of to say we hit it off would be an understatement. I mean, we really, really hit it off uh, on our first date. We <laughs> I'm not. Let's see how 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 much do I want to reveal on this. Podcast? <laughs> let's just I'll get some highlights of, our, of my first date, though. On our first date, we were detained by Mexican police, uh, got out, got out of that detention from, from Mexican police, uh, went to Lucha Libre, uh, went to an 80s dance club and were up all night together. And then that date went on for four more days because uh, I was leaving on a Tuesday and we just became completely inseparable <laughs> from that point on. Sure. Quite literally. But, uh, you know, it was a it was a, a ballsy move, I guess, of myself to decide to actually pursue a relationship from that, because for most people, that would probably just be a five day, you know, five day fling and, and maybe on with their life because it's, it's another country like that. That's crazy. But I'm a little crazy. So I, I actually did continue to pursue that relationship. And uh, the feeling was very mutual. And then um, last year, the pandemic hit and we actually we're in a spot where we were both working a lot. Um, it's kind of funny how things work again. Like my my uh, my girlfriend then, now wife, had a bunch of productions lined up in Mexico City. She kind of works in, this, in a similar industry, um, doing like you know TV advertising and production. And I had a whole bunch of work lined up. And we were like, man, how are we even gonna make this work right now? Like we're so busy. I don't even know how we're gonna get get to each other to spend time together. And then suddenly, coronavirus hit. Well, she lost all that work. The entire industry was shut down in Mexico. Um, the company was went bankrupt too later on, so she even didn't even get paid for work that she had already done for them. Um, and then I got furloughed from my job at the NFL Network. Um, I, I'm back there now, but I was on like a, a two or three month furlough. Um, so suddenly we had time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we 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 took off and uh, we said, well, if we're gonna be locked down here and not have jobs, um, we're not gonna do it in LA. So we, we came down to Mexico. Really, literally, we're where I, the house I am right next ne right now is next door to the house that we spent three months in uh, together last year. And that's that's where our relationship really fomented and where we decided to uh, take things to the next level. And once we decided to do that, we were in the US and you know, I don't know if people realize this, but being married to someone, getting married to someone from a different country is not a simple thing no. at all. They actually make it incredibly difficult. Um, so, yeah, we, we decided once we once we really looked into it and we, we were already engaged and uh, you know we were in the United States, we realized that the, the best thing to do for us was to actually just go get married and then work out the rest later. So we did the whole Vegas thing. We uh, we got ordained by uh, by Elvis and uh, the rest is history. Was it legitimately an Elvis impersonator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. That's the coolest shit, man. It's funny because a year, uh, probably a year earlier, we had been joking about that. Like, oh, yeah, we should get married in someday in, in, in Vegas, like by Elvis, you know. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, we that joke manifested itself into reality. It's nice. <laughs> nice. So, so you, you probably spent some time in Mexico now is what you're saying. And uh, how how has it been like the, the covid, you know, it's because we're both from California, right? I I left. We kind of did this, something similar here. I left California. Uh, 24 hours before they instituted the 24, or uh, sorry, five minutes before they instituted the 24-hour lockdowns. Uh, initially, back in what was that March? March. Of, March. Yeah, it was like mid-March. Yeah, so I left five minutes. I hopped on an airplane uh, at 11:55 a.m. My my flight took off to Iowa, and they started it at midnight, at least in San Francisco. And uh, and I've been in Iowa this whole time, and it's been great because California is hard to deal with right now. Uh, you mm -hmm. you went and spent some time in Mexico. How has the the change been between? Uh, you know, being being in California dealing with COVID and then Mexico dealing with COVID. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I mean, I was just walking to the store today and there was a couple of people wearing masks here, even in this in this small town, uh, which is like way, way out of Mexico City, the town that we're, we're hanging out in right now. So I, I couldn't say like it doesn't exist here or that, you know, people aren't affected by it or are reacting to it. Um, but it's it's different. I would just say it's different. It definitely doesn't feel like LA where like everything was closed. I mean, things are open here. Everything's open. Um, you know, bars are open, restaurants are open, what have you. Um, uh, the one thing I noticed in Mexico, almost everybody, almost everywhere you go is, is temperature checked, which is interesting. Cause that's, that's actually one of the few things that I, if, you know, if you're going to accept the idea that there is a, a deadly, some pandemic, you're worried about people being sick, that actually makes sense. Like if, if you're concerned, if you're a private or company concerned about a sick person, yeah, a quick temperature check, 
that's actually somewhat logical. I can see the logic there. Meanwhile, in the United States, we do everything but that. Like right. we do all this other random shit that doesn't do anything that we know doesn't do anything. But I don't think I've ever had my temperature checked in the U.S. Maybe no, I, I think like a restaurant or two in L.A. has done it, but not all of them. It's certainly not any kind of mandatory requirement. But that's one thing I noticed here, almost everywhere. Now, when I say everywhere, I mean like the actual major stores owned by major corporations like this bodega store i go to bodega aurora it's actually owned by walmart so that they, they, they have all the same regulations that walmart probably does in the u.s but when i just go to the local tiendita where i bought this 30 peso uh victoria 40 ounce beer here uh i mean there's no nobody cares like you i don't need a mask there um no one the person working there isn't wearing a mask it's it's kind of like two realities living you know within the same town um and that, that's just a little snapshot from the specific place I am. I mean, Mexico overall, it's it, there's there's actually like no real federal regulations about this stuff at all in Mexico. It's all state by state. Um, there's like, I want to say 18 states, but that might be totally wrong. There's some number of states in Mexico and each of them has had varying various degrees of lockdown. They all have, you know, red level, yellow level, blah, blah, blah. Like I know at one point last year, uh, which is why we actually stayed in LA for a little longer. Like, like Mexico was actually more locked down than LA, Mexico city at one point. Uh, it was like super, super red zone lockdown. So it's different. I, I can't say it's like, it's, you know, so much more free than LA that I, I'd like to say that. But I mean, the vibe is different though. That's for sure. Like I, I don't see anybody that looks at me in fear for not wearing a mask. Uh, no one crosses the street and runs away from me when I'm walking outside without a mask. Um, that happens every day in LA. If I'm out outside walking with, uh, without my dogs or just walking with my wife, walking outside, we don't wear masks outside cause we're sane. Uh, but almost everyone in my neighborhood does. I mean, I, I'm, I rarely see someone walking alone outside or walking with their significant other without a mask. Uh, so th that's something that's a huge difference is that, and th th I think that's a big difference in the cultures. Like people in Mexico don't, don't fear each other. Like there is really that mi casa as tu casa uh, attitude here. I mean, it, it is more of a family, like we're, we're all in this together kind of thing. That's just kind of a vibe thing. Whereas LA, it feels like everyone's against each other. Everyone's afraid of each other. Uh, people see you without a mask and you're the enemy. You're someone to be afraid, afraid of. You're dirty. And there's zero feeling like that here at all. Uh, whatever like level of regulations there are or that, that private businesses enforce, it's all, everyone just kind of like does it like, there's not a huge resistance to it, but it's also not, there's nothing super, there's nothing mega tyrannical going on here. Really. I would say like I have experienced nothing except a temperature check ultimately and, and stores like that, that require masks. Uh, that's about it. True. Uh, Cause it, even when they first had lockdowns, like think about Mexico, it's like you're You're never going to enforce like some heavy lockdown where you don't let people work here. That's not going to happen. It's, it's impossible. The people in, that would enforce those lockdowns, like the, the police, that's not how it works here. That's <laughs> just not how it works here. Like, like people do not take the government seriously here uh, for the most part. I mean, uh, almost almost universally in Mexico, even among people that go and vote and, and what have you, everyone knows the government is just this corrupt institution. It's, it's a fact. It's not even questioned. And whatever extent you interact with the government here, whatever extent people interact with the government, it's all done under this veil of cynicism and this idea that, yes, we know this is some corrupt bullshit and we don't take it seriously, which is the exact opposite of LA. So, God, I wish that's how it was here. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge difference. So, you know, I'm sure if you compared the laws on the books for the United States to Mexico, you could find many, many, many ways that Mexican law is less free than the United States. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over um they don't have free speech protections they essentially have napoleonic law uh when it comes to criminal criminal justice um at the same time the it, the attitude makes it feel much more free because most of the shit's just not enforced like sure. nobody goes, nobody's in jail in Mexico hardly at all. I mean, for good and bad reasons. Um, like, for, um, 
basically from what I've, I've learned, what people tell me here, the only people in jail in Mexico are poor people. And that's for two reasons. One is that when someone commits a crime, like a, a cartel member commits a crime, or if they say a police officer commits a crime, what they will do is they will find a poor ass person and pay them to uh, confess to that crime. And then that person who is already poor or whatever, their family is now set, their family's good, their family's got money, and eh, they got a free place to stay in this shitty Mexican jail for some amount of time. They'll probably be let out eventually. <laughs> and and the other poor people are just there because, uh, you know, they got they need a place to stay, <laughs> and, and they can get they can go commit some petty crime and, and not because because most people that, that get arrested in Mexico are you're going to get out of it because they're going to pay off the cop. That, right. that, it's, it's it's that simple. Whether you're a Mexican citizen or uh, or a gringo, if you're a gringo, you're going to pay a, a little bit of a higher rate. But that's that's basically the system. I'm not saying it's a good system, but um, it's a lot easier to get out of uh, out of trouble than it is in the United States. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah. I actually have a funny story about that. When I, I was in the Navy, I was stationed in, in uh, Coronado Island, <clears throat> San Diego. And I was under 21. <clears throat> and so when we were in port, I would, you know, we'd get off of work on Friday and we'd, you know, take the, the bus down to the border. We cross, cause you could, back then you could cross the border with your military ID. You didn't need a passport or anything. Mm-hmm. So we cross the border into Tijuana. We buy a 12 pack of Takati or whatever beer they had there. And then we get in a cab and take a cab down to Rosarito. It was about a 40 minute drive or whatever. Yes. And, no, uh, well. yeah, great, great place to hang out on the weekends, man. It's a lot of fun, especially yeah, when you're like, awesome. you know, 18, 19 year old kid and you don't really have mm-hmm. nothing else going on, you know, um, it's a lot of fun. And they have like Iggy's and Papa's a beer and all it's senior frogs and all that stuff right on the beach. The Iggy's doesn't even have a roof. Uh, it's just got a bungee, a bungee tower in the middle of the bar with a pool in it. I don't know if it's still there. I, I've but, been there. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a lot <laughs> of fun. Right. And so we actually, uh, we were pulling up in front of Iggy's on a Friday night. It just started to get dark and a cop pulls up behind the cab and we're all drinking beer in the taxi cab because they'd be like, yeah, pop a beer, pop a beer, enjoy, you know, and we're drinking beers in the taxi cab and the cops come up and they're like, oh, you know, you're under arrest or whatever. And like, what do we, what do we do? You know, you're drinking in the cab. I'm like, all right, well, uh, and he just puts his hand out. He just sticks his hand out. Right. <laughs> and, like, I'm come like, on, and I'm like, oh, 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 I think he wants some money. So like we just oh, gave I'm him. Oh, I'm under arrest. Yeah, I'm under okay. arrest. Okay. So we like get, so the, the bouncer comes out of Iggy's and he goes, just pay the guy or whatever. You know, I, I, he was like speaking half Spanish, half English to us. And so we give the guy like 20 bucks or something. And he's like, all right, have a good night. And left. And like we went in the bar. The bouncer like ushered us into the bar. And it was like, that was the most bizarre thing I've ever had happen to me ever. Like, you know, I was a kid and I'm like, you know, where I'm from, the cops pull you over. They're taking you to jail. I mean, if, if, yeah. if they're, you know, if they're, they're, you're under arrest, you're going to jail here. It's like 20 bucks and you don't got to go to jail, man. Exactly. And, and I'm not saying it's good to have a system where you can bribe the cops, but it might be better where it ruins your life. If you encounter the cops every fucking time, you know, so maybe it's not that bad, you know? And honestly, the, there's something like, I don't know, there's something just kind of cute about a, a Mexican cop shakedown. Like it, it I've ha- had the situation a couple of times. I've never really felt in any kind of like danger or any kind of worry because they don't want to deal. They don't want to bring you to jail and try to like, they, that's not why they're doing this. It's because they want like 20 bucks because they're poor. They yeah, don't the make any money. They don't make any money there. They don't all. make any money. And I mean that fucking almost literally like they really don't make any money. And the only way they can make money is accepting some petty bribes here and there for some gringos. So, you know. It's not the end of the world. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it might be better. <laughs> it might be better than our system. Yeah, no shit. I hear, <laughs> hear your life's ruined for a joint, man. You exactly. know, I, I live in Iowa, right? And they're still they still arrest people for like petty petty possession of CBD here, dude. Wow. I just blows my it blows my fucking mind. I'm like CBD, really? Like I'm from California, and and you know I lived in Oregon and Southern Washington when they legalized weed in Washington. It was like you walk into a like a Seven Eleven and buy weed, man. They have CBD at like at like at like Walgreens in California. Yeah, it's like it's like everywhere. I mean, you know, and and there's people setting in jail here for for CBD oil. I mean, CBD pens, all that shit. It blows my mind, man. Uh, it's yeah. pretty crazy. So. So getting back into the the uh, you know your marriage because I know you want to talk a whole bunch about your personal life, but ha- what what were the, the the hurdles and the challenges? Because I you know I, I'm a libertarian who's pretty anti uh, government drawn borders, and I understand how this shit can make things hard for people, especially. And you have one of those situations where it's like, you know, this is this is a situation where you know this arbitrary line on the map has made it harder for you guys to be in love. What, what so what were for some sure. of the challenges you guys have had to deal with? Yeah, I mean. Initially, even before we got married, I mean, there's just the challenge of like, because my wife didn't have a visa at the time at all. She's, but she's had tourist visas in the past. She was able to get another another tourist visa, so we were she's able to come visit me. But even that was 
a challenge in the sense that it's a it's a harrowing experience to go down and and like have to go to U.S. to a, the U.S. embassy and request a, a visa. I mean, she's she had one before, so it was pretty very easy for her. But for most Mexicans, for most people, it's impossible. Like like the ten people before her, when she first went to go get her visa, were all rejected. We're all just walking off crying or angry or cursing or what have you, because you really have to show like significant income to to get that kind of visa, even just a regular tourist visa, just to come visit. Um, it's not easy at all. It's it's almost actually impossible for for your average everyday Mexican to legally even come visit the United States, even if they have relatives or what have you. It's it's very very difficult. Um, for, for, for most people, like you have to be like really like middle, middle class or what have you showing income, showing lots of ties to the country. Um, anybody poor, like there's no way they're not, they're not going to give you even a regular visa. Uh, but yeah, then once we decided to get married, I mean, you're kind of left with like difficult choices. Um, like, I mean, you can, cause we were actually originally going to get married in Mexico was, was our idea. Um, and we still, we still actually plan on having like more of a, a real wedding once we get through these, these challenging, um, immigration hurdles. Um, uh, but yeah, we decided to once we are we're actually we're in the United States when we planned this when we started looking at the legal, you know, all the legal options. And uh, basically, you know, the options, it's it's like you can't win, you know, either either we could have gotten married outside of the country and, and just left and done it that way, the way we planned, in which case. You know, it's questionable what how that could be enforced, but technically you're not supposed to travel on a tourist visa with like a dual intent. So. Different lawyers said different things. Some say, yeah, you can still travel on the tourist visa when you're engaged and looking to get married or even when you're married and going through the immigration process. But also the problem with all the all the laws and regulations is that they, at the end of the day, everything is up to the discretion of a CBP officer. So lawyers can give opinions, but theirs is just, their opinion is an opinion, too. And the CBP officer's opinion is an opinion. But his is the opinion that matters uh, because that person can affect your whole fucking life, because if you get rejected at the border, even for like an innocent reason, like that's going to fuck up everything. Uh, it's going to possibly mess up the entire future. So there's, there was always, there it still is because we're still in the, we're actually in the middle of the immigration process right now. Uh, we actually, as actually, as we record this, we're like three weeks away from having her green card interview, okay. which will help things a lot once we, once we get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're even, even when you have a green card, technically it's at the discretion of the CBP officer. Only once you have both have a passport, then you pretty much have a right to enter the country. But until that point, you really have no right. Um, like they can, even when we go back next week, technically it's possible they could look at her stuff, even though she's in a, a, a completely legal process uh, and has a completely legal permission to leave the country. Uh, technically, a, a CBP officer could look at all of that, which is all being done the exact right way and say, no, I don't think you should be able to come to the country. And that that could be it. I mean, it's not. I don't think that's going to happen. It's, it's a small chance, very small chance, like almost minuscule, I would say, because we're we have everything on the up and up. We're doing everything right. But there's that. There's always that concern. Sure. You know, I, I don't like talking to the government. I don't, it's, it's like it's like when you get pulled over. Even if you know you did nothing wrong, even if I know I'm not drinking, no, I'm not speeding. I'm still nervous. And it's the same feeling flying into the United States with my wife. And that's not a feeling anybody should have to have when you're with your family. You know, to think it's possible, it's possible that some guy could be having a bad day and send my wife away from me. Just, just because, just because they want to. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It yeah. just blows my mind. And, and all the pain and, and anguish from this comes from the American side of this. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the, the, the Mexican government doesn't give a shit. No, zero, zero fucks. They come, <laughs> come right in. There has never been one day even since coronavirus started where an American could not freely enter Mexico, essentially no questions asked. Yes, there are technically questions asked. They hand you a form. They ask you what reason you're in the country for. Uh, they don't give a shit. They're happy to see you. They're, they're glad you're here and coming into their country and you're welcomed as a visitor. And that is almost universally true in Mexico. It's crazy to me, man. And, and it was like that when I was in the Navy and then, you know, and then they started requiring passports and then they said that military members couldn't go down there anymore at all. Uh, because it had gotten too dangerous for Americans to be in Mexico. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really dangerous place for Americans and this and that and this and that. I mean, have you have you encountered danger while you've been there? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I, have, I, have not, I have not encountered danger. And I, not to say that there, I mean, yeah, a lot of Mexico, uh, certain parts of Mexico, there's heavy cartel activity and there it exists. Like, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist, but I've never encountered it. Um, and then there certainly is crime, especially in Mexico city. Like if uh, my wife grew up in Mexico city, like every member of her family has been mugged multiple times in their life. It's just kind of a part of life. And so, you know, I'm, you know, yeah, that's a real thing. Um, and that's, that can happen, especially if you're a gringa. I mean, it's never happened to me, but it could. And, sure. and 
it's all about being smart, though. You know, don't wear flashy clothes. Don't 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 not be be aware of your surroundings. Um, if you're aware of your surroundings, you're fine. Ultimately, that's that's pretty much true universally everywhere. It's the people that just you know do stupid shit and find themselves in a place they don't realize they don't know where they are. They they go into a bad area of town because they have no idea where they're going. Um, those are the kind of people that that end up getting in trouble. Um, but in terms of like danger, danger, like no, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, things happen, and I mean, I see I see the same things on the news that other people see. I'm um, not going to deny that there's violence here, but you know, there's 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 not more violence than there is. If you actually look at like the the top cities of, of violence in the world, like some of them are, I think, in the I think both in the top five are Los Angeles and St. Louis, are both technically more dangerous than Mexico City. There might be more widespread crime in Mexico City, like more widespread widespread petty crime, but Los Angeles. St. Louis have higher murder rates and that sort of thing, but they're all, but even there, it's all in these, these very small areas. It's like, from, it's all from like a very small part of Los Angeles. It's all from a very small part of St. Louis. So whether you're from Mexico or the U S if you're smart, you just don't go to those parts of those cities. I don't go to the bad parts of LA and I don't have any trouble. I don't go to the bad parts when I'm visiting my sister and my nephew in St. Louis and I don't have any trouble. I don't go to the bad parts when I'm in Mexico. I don't have any trouble. So I think that's kind yeah, of universal. The, the bad the parts of St. Louis have the best barbecue mark. Well, <laughs> that's true. It's the same with Kansas City. Well, you know that now that I'm in Des Moines, we're like two... the same with LA, actually. Too. Yeah, exactly. The best yeah. food is always in the worst parts of, parts of town, dude. That's just how it works. We, we, you I mean, know, I'm not I... saying I, I'm not saying I literally never go there, but yeah, yeah. You, know? you, you don't go walking around at nighttime for no reason, bro. Right. You know, I don't I mean? go to the bad parts of the bad parts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, like uh, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa now, so we're like two and a half hours away from Kansas City, and so like every time we drive through Kansas City, I'm like, gotta stop and get ribs, man. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 the best rib spots are in the worst parts of town, but that's okay because it's everybody's happy when they're eating ribs, man. You know, what it's I mean? trade-offs. You know, you take a little extra risk for a lot more deliciousness, and exactly, that's, that's a good trade-off. Exactly, exactly. I want those ribs to fall off the bone, man. That's it's what you get. That's what you get in Missouri. You know what I mean? That and I don't know what else, but that, definitely that and and gun gun freedom. What what's the what's the what's the uh, Do you know anything about the firearm stuff where you're at? Yeah, that that's one area. Well, it's it's again, it's one of those things. There's there's the laws in the books, and then there's real life. Um, but no, I mean, you cannot. It's it's almost technically, it's like almost impossible to own a gun in, in Mexico legally. So that that's one downside, especially if you're big gun people. I'm a big gun rights person. I I own a firearm in in the United States, but I'm not like, like yeah, I like to go shoot at the range sometimes. But I'm not like, it's not like part of my personal culture. Like I don't, I'm not like obsessed with guns or anything. So to me, again, it's another trade off. Yeah, I can't bring my my handgun down here. Um. So yeah, that's just well, a trade-off. Um, you have a handgun, bro. You sure it's not illegal? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I, when I moved, it's what, frowned upon. I mean, people. I, I'm not kidding. I know people that are like horrified when they found out found out I own a handgun. Like, what? What? What do you mean? Couldn't couldn't you get hurt? <laughs> like, <laughs> only people that have never touched a gun in their life say these things. Like, right. like no, it just it's not. It's locked in a safe. It's not. It doesn't and it unloaded, and it's not gonna fi- and it's not gonna load itself or fire itself at anybody. So no, I'm not I'm not afraid of that. At That's all. so funny. Yeah, when I move when I moved back to California, I'd spent seven years in Southern Washington and Oregon, and then uh, quickly briefly in Texas. And when I moved back to California, I had a Glock 21 Gen 4 Glock 21. It was illegal in California. Legal every other state except for California because it didn't have a visible auto loader. And I'm going, what the fuck? I don't, I don't even visible. know. Visible. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, well, all Gen 4 Glocks are illegal in California. I could not believe it, dude. It was just insane yeah, the, to me. The gun laws in California are just are completely random and, and completely inane. And, and most of them are just about superficial, superficial elements of guns because they are just made to placate people that are afraid of guns. So, so they, they take these terms, they create these terms that aren't even like real terms, like assault weapon or what have you. They, they, you know, or, or like you know, whatever the thing you said, visible auto loader, what have you. And then they say, you can't have those things. And then people go, Oh look, my politician is doing something about the gun problem. And then, so then they randomly enforce certain kinds of guns that you just can't have or certain parts or gu- that, that guns can't have. And it does nothing and it means nothing. And, but you know, well, that's, that's laws. Well, it's <laughs> hilarious because if you get if you get south of Stockton, right, like south of Stockton, all the way down to like the Grapevine, every farmer's got like a stockpile of weapons that the, the oh, government yeah. doesn't know about. And then as soon as you get north of Sacramento, all the way up, all the way to Oregon, every farmer has <laughs> stockpiles of guns that the government doesn't know about. You know, Cause there's probably more guns in California than there are in any other state, but maybe I don't know. 
Florida. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's always been funny to me because you, you know these people in California have guns. You know, this, and then, and then you get into the, the inner cities like, you know, LA and Oakland and San Francisco, and there's probably more illegal guns there than there are in the farms. Oh, for sure. But everything's illegal. You know what I mean? It's crazy to me, dude. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, in Mexico, like, yeah, you can't, um, let's just put it this way. You can't, you can't, I think there's like one gun store in the country, like one legal gun store, and you have to have some special license or something that only I think like the chief of police of all of Mexico can get. It's like one of those crazy things. Uh, but at the same time, there's nobody that doesn't know how to get a gun. Sure. Sure. You can get anything. So, there. And, and exactly. The, one <laughs> I mean, of the cool anything. things about Mexico is the, the, the medical freedom, right? Like yes. You have absolutely. the opportunity in Mexico to, to literally, you can go and buy shit that we have to get prescriptions for. You can go buy mm-hmm. at the store there. So have, yep. you, have you seen a lot of that since you've been there? Yeah. I mean, there, there's actually like medicines that my, my, my wife used to get over the counter that she can't even get with a prescription in the U S and she was like, when she first started coming to visit me, she'd be like, Oh, can you just pick me up this thing? I'd be like that thing. You can't get that thing. <laughs> You're like, you gotta go no, see a doctor to get that thing. I gotta call a guy for that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, I can just go get that thing. I mean, no, it, it's really crazy. Um, the, the, the difference, like, and even like certain birth controls that you can't use, get there or you can't get here, you can get there and vice versa. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we both gotten like stem cell treatments from her, uh, my wife's doctor that, just for our body, just for our, you know, just to reset last year. And, and she's gotten a couple times to help her with some, something and, and helped and helped her tremendously. Uh, I'm not sure if it's legal or not in the U- U.S. Maybe it would be. Sure as hell wouldn't be as easy. <laughs> I mean, uh, for, uh, you know, a few thousand pesos, we, we got these like stem, stem cell treatments last year. And, and my God, I was like a new person. It's like we were reborn. She actually had like um, um, her vision like changed. Like she actually had like an eye issue and it went away. Like after doing these stem cells, I mean, it was, it's just amazing. And yeah, I mean, I, I mean, stuff like that you can get access to. I mean, um, well, maybe guy- some people would say that's bad, the un- unregulated free market, but, um, I mean, we wouldn't be any of those people. So why even bring it up? No, I think, I think it's a great thing. And, and, and as a guy with a macular degeneration in my right eye, I'm really mm. interested. You got, you got my interest now, man. Well, I- interestingly enough, I don't have it, but I have the, um, the, thanks to my friends at 23 and me, I have the gene that for it. So I, could theoretically, you know, start macularly degenerating any day now. Sure. But I um, guess I, I don't know if mine's a degeneration. So I had like some kind of infection in my eye when I was born and it just put, it ate a hole in the center of my macula. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't have the vision in just that one little, that little center piece of my right eye. Um, but, but it's like scarred around the, the, the hole. So like, they don't think it's growing. So it's not actually degenerative. It's just, I don't, I don't gotcha, remember what gotcha. they call it. Some other word, but man, if stem cells could, I don't think, I don't think it would help that, but I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I, it's possible. <laughs> never, you Couldn't hurt to try. Know. I'll tell you that. Cause I mean, it, it did wonders. Like it's like, wow, I just, I, and I, we looked younger. Like you can, you can see the physical changes. Like it, it really is like resetting your body and resetting your cells and like, and like re-energizing them. Um, crazy thing. Like we were, I've kind of gone back and forth a few times. Like right now I'm not really eating meat, but I'm have not declared myself a vegetarian and I still eat fish. But for about three months last year, after we did, took these stem cells, we didn't eat any meat and it wasn't by choice. It this weird thing happened. And her doctor actually said like, Oh, you probably shouldn't eat meat for like a day or two, you know, after, after taking, after doing this, we're like, okay, cool. So of course, like later that night we got like, like a rack of ribs and like just went to town. We're like, all right, doc, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just threw those ribs right up, like throw them. Right. I didn't even feel sick. I just threw them up, and then I was fine. But suddenly, I didn't want any meat. I didn't even want eggs. The, we both experienced the same same phenomena, and it probably wouldn't have been the same if we didn't go right to the meat right away because sure. we did it again and didn't have the same thing. So I think that was because we immediately ate meat when the doctor told us not to. But the way he explained it, and I don't know how scientifically true this is, but it kind of makes sense to me. Like like when you're resetting your cells with these stem cells, um, like you're you're kind of like it's kind of like your cells are baby cells again. And like you wouldn't feed a baby like a two month old baby like like ribs because a baby can't eat ribs. It would just like reject them because um, you don't eat, your body doesn't want that. Uh, so I know we kind of I guess we kind of did that experience that ourselves by by like throwing literally eating ribs right after it. And then our body was like, no, I don't want that. So then we after like three months, like neither of us wanted it wasn't even like a decision like we just didn't want it like we, our body told us like no don't don't eat it um no we've had been flowed since then but that's wild yeah it's just an interesting side effect yeah yeah i think the stem cell stuff's pretty cool to, to think about i know uh angela mccardle who you're i know you're familiar with you you yeah, spent yeah, yeah. some time with angela mccardle she had stem cell treatment for crohn's i believe and and it, yeah she yeah. said it like healed her man which is yeah. wild to think about because it's not it, something that you typically get healed from 
stuff stuff is a miracle um i mean again i'm not a doctor but yeah it, it helped uh, my wife with a with a, an autoimmune disorder that she had was dealing with as well that maybe technically she has it but she doesn't really experience it anymore and I, that's that's a huge part of it along with like lifestyle changes and, and stuff like sure, that sure sure yeah yeah and that's that's a that's something that i'm working my way to is the lifestyle changes man I, it's yeah it's a hard part but man if i could get some stem cells too man maybe i'll come down oh yeah and, maybe i'll come down and visit sometime man so absolutely man we, we know we know the guy to send you to yeah yeah so so what's what's up with the show man what's going on with with uh lions of liberty what do you got coming up uh we're, we're kicking on all cylinders, man. I really feel like, I, I know I feel like we say this to to ourselves every couple of years. We're like, I feel really feel like we're hitting our stride now. And that's, and it's always true. Cause you're always, you know, trying to hit different levels and kind of ascend to a different place, I suppose. But, um, that being said, I really feel like we're hitting our stride. Um, and I, I think we've all sort of evolved, uh, the three of us, uh, maybe not Brian, he just kind of the same old guy now, but, um, we, we've kind of kind of evolved over the years. I mean, like I, I listen, you'll probably experience the same thing like six years ago when you listen to these early episodes. Like, I cringe at early episodes of Lions of Liberty. Just absolutely cringe. Like, there's days I just want to take the whole first hundred down. Like, I can't even listen to this stuff. Um, part of it because I was just, I wasn't a natural host. Like, it was really something I had to grow into, uh, to grow into having, like, natural conversations. It's actually it's actually very uncomfortable for me at first. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But also just my approach has changed so much over the years and, and what I think is important and, like, I don't know, like now I think I, and I think my show is my personal show, my flagship show every Monday on Lions Liberty has has reflected my own evolution and the way I approach things. So I, I used to do episodes like, you know, uh, I'll spend an hour and an hour talking to Walter Block about uh, about uh, how a libertarian society might might deal with like, uh, you know, mandatory vaccines or something like that. Or um, but I, I think a good reflection of like my the, the new way I approach things is like, you know, there was I, I had Jeffrey Tucker on a few months ago. And we we're just kind of talking about the whole year of lockdowns and masks and and just having a blast talking about the whole thing, just kind of let letting it flow. And at, right after the interview ended, he was like, oh, that was really fun, man. That was great. Uh, it was great to catch up. Uh, you know, I, I'm so glad you didn't do the whole like like how would a how would an anarcho-capitalist society handle the coronavirus thing and i was just i would just laugh so hard at that because like if if that sh- if the show had taken place three years earlier that same interview that is what the show would have been that's I exactly I would have been like so jeffrey tell me the technical aspects of how property rights would intersect with the medical freedom of that and we, we like and you know i think that stuff is good for us libertarian nerd boys but that's the only people it's good for you're, you're we're not going to reach anybody else with this kind of like breaking down of the nap logic reason stuff um, and I don't know about you. I think I do know about you. Like, I want to change the fucking world. Like, I, I don't want to just talk to our one or two percent of people that already like are kind of hardcore about this stuff and already have that logical reason, autist, aggro mind that we all have in some way. Uh, I want to actually fucking reach people. And I'm really coming to learn and understand that there are just other there are a lot other ways to reach people that and those are the ways that we need to all be exploring. And that's kind of the conversation that's been going on in the liberty movement right now. What is the best way to reach people? What are, what are the best strategies to use? Um, should we be using the LP Mises caucus? Uh, should we be using the Republican Party? And this is kind of a way to promote a debate I have coming up, which is going to be discussing that same topic. So I'm actually hosting a debate between Dave Smith and uh, Tho Bishop. Um, I think by the time this airs. Uh, that will have already happened, and our, for our patrons, and then it'll be uh, running on Monday um, to the public. So wait, when, you, when are you so, doing? Are you recording it tomorrow? I'm recording it tomorrow. Yeah. Oh man, dude, I can't wait. I uh, I'm a big fan of both of those people, man. I like. I'm, I am I, too. I had Dave. Dave was my second guest I had on the show. So so you know I'm leveraging those contacts, right? My second show was with mm-hmm. Dave Smith. My first, oh, yeah. my my no, it was my third because my first was uh, Jacob Hornberger. My second was uh, Pete Quinones, and my third was Dave Smith. I was like, if we're gonna start off a show, we might start start it off right, right? Um, and now we're now we're now we're down now we're thirty down the list. So dude, I know where dude, I stand. Dude, but that, that's, dude, that's a good I, company. I had no, I swear, didn't I? I I wanted you on the show a long time ago, man. But it's you know I'm I'm constantly reaching out to people trying to get them to come on the show. But it's nice because I do have. Believe, the, believe me, you should have all those guys on before me. I don't blame you. At oh, all. dude, dude, <laughs> I, I would do like, the same thing. I just want. I, I was like, hey, listen, I'm gonna take these guys' platform, bro. You know what I mean? That's a, yeah. no, but you got a great platform. You got a great show. I'm a big fan of yours, man. No doubt about it. I think what you do is is wonderful. I think you're you know you are definitely one of those voices that are changing the world um you know you 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 are not 
the uh, nerdy and cap uh, uh, philosophy guy from that from that you may have been in the beginning. Uh, I'm trying to learn to not to be that guy as well. Uh, thankfully, I mean, it, it lives within us all. But, it, you know, oh, it and does. We, and we, we shouldn't reject its existence. We should appreciate it, love it for what it is, but not make that our entire mode of communicating with the rest of the world. Agree, 100%, man. And and it took me a lot of years to learn that. Um, yeah. So. Uh, and I hope other people will too. And that's why I don't want my show to just be about libertarian bullshit all the time. That's why I like talking about stem cell shit and marriages <laughs> and all kinds of other shit. Cause I want people to be entertained, but I don't, I don't just want to be like, and then Spooner said this, and then Rothbard said this, and this is how we yeah. can deal with this. And, and so it's, it's a good thing. And I think you guys are doing a great thing. I think, uh, you know, older Matt's done some great stuff too. I'm a big fan of his as well. And, um, I'm, I'm very happy to have you guys in here. Where, where can my wonderful followers find you at Mark? Oh, they can find well. They can find us, uh, Lions Liberty, everywhere at Lions Liberty um, on Twitter. You can find me at Mark D. Claire. That's Mark with a C, the letter D. Claire C L A I R at Mark D. Claire. I I I go through tweeting bouts. I go through like there'll be a week where I'm just tweeting like a maniac, and then there'll be a week where I just like don't tweet. So I, I'm I'm all over the place with that stuff. But uh, I I get into modes now and then, and uh, I get snarky from time to time. Uh, you can also find me. Uh, another podcast I started about it almost a year ago. It was actually a product of the pandemic. It's the second print comics podcast that I started with my friend Remzo Martinez. Every single Wednesday, we are two guys from sort of different comic fanhood generations. We look at a different uh, comic book storyline or or a certain character or what have you uh, from our fanhood and just break it down, just have a good time doing it. And that's just another way I'm trying to get into the culture and and connect with people on other levels outside of nerdy and arco capital. Holy shit, I didn't even know about this, Mark. Now, yeah. now I have a new podcast I'm going to have to listen to because I have more listeners. I am also a comic book nerd, man. So this is great. This awesome. is this is wonderful. Well, we, definitely... could, we could do a whole other show on that. Yeah, and I'm a big road. fan of Rimzo too. I think he's 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 awesome too. So that's that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I'm very excited for that. Now I have how many episodes of that do I get to listen to? We just hit episode 42. Jeez, I got a lot of catching up to do, man. Yeah, yeah. So well, shit. Once again, man, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show, dude. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, and. Uh, we will talk soon. Thanks, brother. It's been a blast, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. God, Mark Claire is just the coolest guy. Please go follow him. Check out his podcast if you don't already. Hopefully you do because it's definitely worth it. Uh, make sure you check out Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Uh, bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, my friend, my partner, one of the coolest guys in the interwebs for all of your graphic design needs, toplobster.com. Check him out. Order stuff from his website. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. You will not be disappointed. And of course, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency planning needs. Check them out, man. They're doing great things. The government does this stuff, takes your money, and does a shitty job. These people are doing it more efficiently and definitely cheaper. And uh, Amy Lepore, who I had on the show uh, quite a few Wednesdays ago, is the owner. She's Mises Caucus from Delaware, and uh, she really knows her shit. So check it out. Uh, and don't forget, tomorrow, I got the great Zuby on the show. You guys are going to love that. Definitely check it out. He is so cool, man. I can't wait for you guys to see this episode. I'm super stoked. Hopefully, he'll share his platform with me for a little bit on on Twitter because the guy is just blown up like insanely. Um, check out the Patreon at patreon.com backslash breakthecyclejs. And if you hate Patreon as much as most libertarians do, you can go to subscribestar.com backslash Break the cycle, JS. You can also now join the uh, memberships on the YouTube channel by just hitting that button and paying $5 a month. Uh, Top Lobster has some awesome badges coming for you chatters that are in every single chat, every show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. If you want to support the show and you hate the uh, the monthly pledges through Patreon or Subscribestar, you can do that right here on YouTube. Uh, so I will see you guys tomorrow for the show with Subi. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Due to legal reasons I just have to explain The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain A violent call to action in the verse and the frame But I just landed in Minecraft The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do So any violence you commit I am not an excuse Because I just landed in Minecraft Well Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old 
Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just made it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There are nothing I mean, you know it No product in us gets to close from COVID 